It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, back by popular demand, it is... Watering Wednesday! Can you feel that hose? Can you feel the spray from the sprinkler? We are here to water your faith. And today is a special day because it is our 100th, yes, 100th episode. Woohoo! It is hard to believe that we have reached 100 episodes, and that is because of you. Yes. I mean, we want to we want to pause here for a moment. Give thanks to God first of all, and thank you the listener and reflect a little bit on what God has done and set a trajectory for the future. You know, throughout the Bible, we see the people of God forgetting God and what he has done. I mean, I, it, there's too many times to even go through the references. It's one time after another after another. They forget what he's done for them in a time of difficulty or a time of faithfulness and, and what he has taken them through. But there have been those men and women who saw that tendency and created memorials so that the next generation wouldn't forget what God had done. That's why this episode exists. This is our audio memorial remembering what God has done. Because God is doing some great things. You know, one of the verses that really inspires me is actually found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And this is what we read. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. You know, that's why we exist. We understand the times and are trying our best to help you find the best course to take as you seek to water your world. Because times are tough out there. It is dry. And, and while there are so many different teachers and ministries, I find that people are still withering on the vine. They are so dry and they want to grow. And that's, that's why you're here is to grow. That's why you're to, what you want to do is go out and water your world. And the world continues to fight against us. The devil is doing his due diligence to bring God's people down. And if the stats can be believed, it's working. Church attendance and Bible reading are down. And many, many Christians, as well as church leaders, are clamoring for answers as they're dealing with all of the different scandals and issues that they see going on all around them. Many pastors are despairing and want to give up. Times are changing. But here's the good news. God is not. He's going to be victorious and you are going to be victorious through him. And, and we are here to help stem that tide in its tracks and rearm the church to go back out into the world. You know, one of the most illuminating and misunderstood Bible passages is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, I've heard so many pastors say that hell will not prevail against Christ's church, as if the church is this compound and, and all hell's coming against this compound. But that's actually not what the verse says. 
And I think they're actually misunderstanding the passage. It's not that hell is coming against the church, but that the gates of hell can't stop the church. It's, it's hell that has the gates. The church is rattling the cages because we're not fighting for victory, my fellow waterers. We are fighting from a position of victory. We are victorious. We know that in the end, God wins and we win because of him. That's why we at Apollos Watered want to provide you with the best thinkers, leaders, prayer warriors, strategists, Bible teachers, scholars, and practitioners out there so that you can water your world where you are. And watering your world means a few different things. It means sharing the truth of who Jesus is. It also means answering the objections and understanding the Bible and who Jesus is and and how the people you are living life in front of think because they're constantly being shaped by the world's ebbs and flows. You know, the deep conversations that we have have done just that. They have watered you. I hope and pray they have. I've heard from, from, from many that they have indeed done that. And that for us is nothing short of incredible. And that's nothing that we can take credit for. All praise goes to God. And we have learned how to water our worlds by nourishing our relationship with Jesus and knowing how to take care of ourselves and others. You know, oftentimes when I hear people talk about different forms of discipleship, gospel-centered discipleship, God-centered discipleship, church-centered discipleship, whatever-centered discipleship that you want to talk about— and, and, and I'm not disagreeing with any of those. We want to keep Christ at the center of everything that we do. But what does that mean? I mean, yes, we keep Jesus at the center, but what, what, what does that mean? How do we, how do we break that down? And, and what does that mean in our relationship with God? I, I've been one of those people that say, hey, we want to talk about God. We want to be God-centered. We, want to, we don't want to be about man, right? We want to put Jesus at the center of everything. But here's the deal. In Matthew chapter 22... He's asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what we notice. We often talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, we get that part, right? And even the love your neighbor as yourself, we have to learn what that means. Jesus gives numerous illustrations on what that means. But what is built into that second commandment is something that I don't think we realize. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. What does it mean to love yourself? And, and I think that's something that's been neglected within a lot of modern theology, especially in conservative evangelical circles, because everyone around us seems so obsessed with themselves, and therefore we have a tendency to kick the entire thing out, throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. But we have to learn how to love ourselves and what that means. But it has to be in the greater framework of first loving God, loving ourselves, understanding who we are, and then loving one another. And understanding how culture affects all of those different things and all of those different relationships. And culture does affect a lot of these things. Culture often affects what we see. But here's the deal. It's the word of God that must be trusted above all things. That's where we go. That provides the, the guardrails of truth that we need to stay between. Because without the Bible, we have nothing. There are so many things that go into watering our world. 
And all of them come together to show us how we are to live as Christians in a world that isn't. And that requires knowing how to nourish our relationship with God in a world of distraction and lives that are increasingly online. I mean, there are so many topics we have covered on this show. I, I don't know if you remember Brett McCracken and the Wisdom Pyramid, because we have all of these things that we're taking in, all this information. But where does it go? And it's just like the food pyramid, where we have to have the, the right foundational parts of our food. We can't live off junk food and sugar. And that's the same when it comes to being online. We can't live our lives just scrolling through our phones all the time. And even then, we heard from Felicia Song talking about restless devices and how our devices are actually shaping and affecting how we see and understand the world and understand people and interact with them. We've talked about analog faith and how many people are going online and stepping away from physically being in church. And we're calling people back to meet with the people of God, to worship together, to be instructed from the word of God, to be the church that God wants us to be. And we have dissected and looked at many of the various thought currents of our world and seen how they are shaping us. That's what we've seen on this show and, and so much more. I mean, we've talked about God's design for our bodies with Sam Alberry and Timothy Tennant and, and Nancy Piercy and the purposes of them, as well as why we need to have a proper theology of the body, something that we've largely lost in our evangelical world. We've, we've learned about the translation process of the Bible and how we need to, to be able to read the Bible in its context and understand its various genres that are there, and also not skipping over the difficult passages. I love what John Piper wrote in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. One of the chapters was entitled, Brothers, Show How God Inspired Hard Texts. I couldn't agree more. We've talked about the purpose of embodiment, other things like hospitality, opening up our homes, or persecution, and then add to that other subjects such as the Western church's consumerism. We've talked about honor-shame societies. We've talked about how to share the gospel with Muslims. We've talked about religious liberty, soul care, beauty, and how to build cross-cultural relationships. And here's the good news. We are just getting started. There are so many people that we want to talk to, so many things that we want to highlight that no one else that we know of is highlighting because they're not looking at the world that they're living in. Oftentimes, we get caught up in what I call this, this Twitter bubble, where we get around people, look and sound just like us, and we just start fighting with those people, and we forget about how normal people are living in the world, and how the Word of God applies to all of these different people. We don't want to be this high and mighty academic group, although sometimes we are going to interact with high and mighty academic types. We don't want to be removed. We want to be in the world. We want to smell like sheep, because we are sheep ourselves. We are the sheep of God's pasture. He's our chief shepherd, and we want to be able to grow in our relationship with him, and we want to be able to equip you to grow and water your world where you are. And here, here's something that I want to let you know about. And I haven't talked about this very much, not on the air. But since we started this thing, the spiritual warfare has been unbelievable. As we've shared with friends our journey and how the enemy has come against us, they tell us, can't you see how God is behind this and how the, the evil one wants to bring this down? We cannot underestimate the evil one's work in the world. And we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare on this show. And I know 
some of those who listen to the show, alarm bells are going off. Because you don't like to talk about spiritual warfare. And this is a problem that I see within evangelicalism. We want to find every other solution rather than one that brings in the evil one. And I'm not a person that finds a demon in everything that I do. There are mental issues that that we we can see. There are things that happen around us. I mean, I, I, I say that, the mental issues thing, because I also want to talk about mental health. Not everything that we struggle with is at its root demonic. And we need to talk about that. We need to be able to discern and determine what's the difference between them. Where does the mental stop and the spiritual begin? How do do our bodies actually affect how we live and interact spiritually? And our church is done so poorly in this. And everyone's afraid. Right now, everyone that I talk to is afraid. No one wants to say anything because they're afraid of being canceled. People are so afraid of being canceled. Well, guess what? You're going to be canceled. If you speak out against the world, the world is going to come against you. Didn't Jesus talk about this? Didn't he share this with us that the world hated him first and the world is going to hate us? Why are we so surprised? And why are we so trying to look to the world for acceptance? Ah, you know, the Bible says that we have three enemies, the world, the fallen world, which is the lust of the eyes, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of what one has and does, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Or as my, my professor David Wells said, the world is anything that makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. The world is coming against us. It's the fallen world. And then our flesh, our flesh, this is the the unredeemed part of who we are, the sinful inclination, the the part that is covered in in, in uh, that is stained by original sin, that it wars against what God wants to do in our bodies and in our in our hearts. And then we have the enemies of darkness. Something that Mike Heiser told us a bit more about and and really brought our minds to see. We have the evil one and his minions. And these three often come together to fight against us, to keep us ineffective, to keep us confused, to keep us divided. And they use a variety of different tactics and they come at us in so many different ways. But we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Now, some of you might be saying, well, how does the world, the flesh and the devil come together? You know, there was a Puritan writer who described the devil as a fisherman who uses the hook of the world. And on that hook is the desire of our flesh, those fallen desires that we have. And those three work together, all seeking to tear us apart. Sometimes, though, it's hard to know which one is which when. When is the world the world? When's the flesh the flesh? When's it the power of darkness? Our flesh is easy enough, but the flesh grabs on to wrong beliefs in the world that are influenced by the evil one. And here, what we want to do is equip you to fight, to live as faithful believers, to stand firm and battle on. As it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17, it's amazing after we take up the shield of faith and have our feet shod with the gospel of peace and the, the, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. I mean, we go through all of the different parts of the armor of God that he says to stand, to stand, stand. That's what we have to do. We have to, to stand. 
to stand firm and fight on, always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in love, doing so in gentleness and respect, as First Peter says, because, and this is the truth that Nancy reminded us of, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 7, that we have been given these gifts. We've been given wisdom from the Spirit of God, and by that, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ, and after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that, that we belong to Christ as much as they do. But going back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And I, I quoted five through seven, but he says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. That's what we're here to do. We're helping to destroy that, but also provide a way forward by examining the culture and knowing what the people should do. And, and, and I want to encourage people with this. Though we're talking about culture, we are biblically grounded because it's the word of God that reveals who God is who we are, and how we're to live in the world. We have encountered several other people who more away from the Bible who want to pay, play fast and loose with God's commands, like Samson did, who played fast and loose. When you go through Judges and you see what he did, he, he, he had the vow of a Nazarite, if you remember. And he wasn't supposed to cut his hair, but he also wasn't supposed to drink anything from the vine or touch a dead body. And he's hanging out in a vineyard. He's touching a, a lion that's got honey in it. I mean, and he's he is sleeping with all of these different women. And he is playing fast and loose with God's word. And what's amazing to me is that what really got him into trouble was his eyes. And what's the thing that God took away? His eyes. See, though he could physically see at one time, he spiritually had become blind. And then... When he becomes physically blind, he comes to the end of himself, and then he can spiritually see again. We want to make sure that we are not playing fast and loose with God's word. And this faith that we proclaim is rooted in the Bible, and it's also connected to history. We are confessionally Christian, which means that we are connected to the historical church as stated in many of the historical creeds and confessions. And we know that we, we have beliefs and confessions that we adhere to personally and we adhere to organizationally. And we try to keep as broad organizationally as possible because we want to talk with different thinkers and leaders within Christ church around the world. And while we might differ on many different issues, the core is Jesus. And while we understand the times of today, our roots are not from today. We hold to the truth of Jesus. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. See, this faith we proclaim is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the faith we proclaim is the faith that is that has been once delivered for all time, or the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people, according to Jude 1, 3. Our faith is confessed around the world and has been since Jesus instituted his church. 
we are united to the confessing historical church around the world. And people forget that during World War II, when the Nazis came to power in Germany, that many Germans stood against Hitler, but many others did not. As a matter of fact, many churches turned. This is why we use the term confessing church. And that actually happens because of what happened in World War II Germany. You see, many different families beginning putting Hitler into their liturgy, with some families even baptizing their children in the name of Hitler. And in Bonhoeffer's mind, the church had become polluted. Bonhoeffer stood against such compromise and syncretism. He called Christians to come out and become a leader of what became known as the Confessing Church in Germany. And as the church in the world becomes more and more polluted, giving in to all kinds of sin, it becomes more and more important to follow in Bonhoeffer's footsteps. We need to be the Confessing Church, calling out how the church has compromised and standing for the truth, come what may. And we are, we are globally engaged here. We want to show you what's going on around the world because God is doing a work in the world. There are so many different statistics that show it where the church is exploding in, in Iran, in Nepal, in China. And the saints of God are needing our prayers to remain steadfast. And the stories of inspiration and faithfulness are nothing less than inspiring. They are challenging especially for many of us who have been lulled to sleep by the carbon monoxide of our culture. We're just slowly lulled to sleep. That's why we have individuals on our show like Nick and Ruth Ripkin or Audrey Frank and Todd Johnson. They remind us of what is going on with our brothers and sisters around the world and the challenges before us. They're there to inspire us to walk closer, to go deeper to be more courageous in watering our worlds. And lastly, we are culturally aware here. We will continue to be. It's our contention that in the discipleship programs we have seen, the lens of culture is what is missing. It's just assumed when people talk about gospel-centered and God-centered. And again, these are great things. We want to be God-centered and all things, but we cannot neglect the role of culture and how it affects what we see and how people understand even who Jesus is in the world. And that's why we want to keep going back to the word of God to show you how culture is affected so that we can truly see the naked Christ. And what I mean by the naked Christ, the true gospel of who Jesus is. And as Craig Ott reminded us that, that Jesus always comes clothed in a cultural garb. And as best we can, we want to see naked Christianity with our limitations. But that's why we want to continue to expose you to people like Randy Richards and Craig Odd and Scott Moreau and Todd Johnson to show you how the world is affecting our lenses and that we're, we're missing who Jesus is. We have a tendency to baptize him into our own culture and our own garb. And really what happens is, is he ends up looking just like us. We cannot create God in our own image. We must understand that we were created in his. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together 
We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. In all the discipleship programs we've seen, in all the conversations, the lens of culture is often what is missing. There's a reason why there are four Gospels. That's what Michael Card reminded us, because each one was speaking to a different cultural audience. If we don't address culture, then we commit a tragic error that can lead to disastrous consequences. And while culture may be the way we do things, I mean, that's what culture is, after all, the way we do things. It's the Bible that enables us to see into a culture, even though it was written in a culture and to a culture, but it's also for us today. And we can see Jesus in that process. And this is also why we have different guests on the show from different cultures and backgrounds. We want to hear from people from different ethnic backgrounds and experiences, both men and women, young and old. There are many cultures, and each one has its unique challenge, something that the Bible affirms and something that it challenges. The Bible calls out every cultural idol that there is, and those idols differ between cultures. We want to equip you to share Christ, to live as a Christ follower truly in your world, because the enemy, if he can't stop you, wants you to think that there is a one-size-fits-all approach to discipleship, and then he wants you to try it, and then he wants you to find that it's not working, and then have you just give up. He wants to limit your influence and discourage you by making you think that there aren't people out there who care, or who have studied these things, or who have shared your experience, and that's simply not true. We are here, we care, and we need you, and we need to hear your perspective and what you've gone through so that we together might water our worlds. Because we are going to do everything in our power as God leads to bring you the best waterers around the world in Jesus' church. That's our hope, and that's our mission. We are continually surprised and amazed by how far God has brought us in such a short time. 100 episodes in about a year and a half. It's been a joy, a privilege, and definitely a challenge. We are so thankful for all of you who have joined us on this journey. To all who are listening, to those of you who have given to this ministry, you aren't just donating. You're investing in the kingdom of God here and now. Your support means that we can continue to make content so that you can water your world. We've heard some of your stories, and we know that God is at work. If you are subscribed to our newsletter, then you've heard Cindy's story, how because of episodes with Nick Ripkin and Audrey Frank, she reached out to her new immigrant neighbors and their adult daughter, the shame bearer of the family. And because of that, she's come to Jesus. Cindy's ongoing relationship with the family is constantly showing this family the love of Christ. This is what we're all about. It's why we do this. But the reality is, it takes money to make this work. 
So far, we are basically running on volunteer labor, and that's just not sustainable. We need your help, your investment, so that we can keep bringing you the most important conversations and teaching that you have come to expect from us. In order for that to happen, we need to have a significant increase in our revenues. We want to be able to do this full time. And by we, I mean there's just more than me. We have other staff who have been giving sacrificially their time to do this. And we want to be able to pay our, our full-time staff and some of our volunteers. We want to be able to have dedicated office space and better quality to communicate with you and increase our offerings. We have some pretty big goals in the coming months, including more resources for you so that, like Cindy, you can water your world. If you're already giving, thank you. If you've benefited from what we are doing, we ask you to prayerfully consider how you can join us how you can invest in Apollos Watered as we invest in you. We can't wait to see what God has in store for us and you in the days to come. I want to thank our Apollos Watered team at 100 episodes. Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody.